I'm very happy, excited to be here to worship with you. Uh, it's always my blessing to be able to read and share God's word. So we're going through the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 15. I've entitled it, How to Really Change. I'm going to ask Jesus to teach us and ask his spirit to come down and change us. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 15. It'll also be projected overhead. Okay, verses 1 through 11. This is Jesus speaking. I'll read it for us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. To the very words of Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus just, just as you are. Don't know if you've ever heard that. More importantly, I don't know if you've ever done that. Come to Jesus just as you are, and Jesus will never leave you just as you are. Come to Jesus just as you are. Not a thing you need to do. Not a thing you need to prove. Not a thing you need to first clean up and present yourself before a holy God. Come to Jesus just as you are and he will never leave you just as you are. You see, we heard last week, if Christian life is mainly about Jesus coming to live in his people, if Jesus comes to live in you by the spirit of truth through an infallible legal counselor and a loving friend, if that is all true, if that is in reality what took place, how can you stay the same? If Jesus, the very spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in his people, how can you stay the same? And this is why Jesus says here in John chapter 15, he is the vine and we are the branches. The people of God, Christian people are branches and they bear fruit. That's just what branches do. That's what living trees do. That's what living vines do. That's what living Christians do. They bear fruit. Bearing fruit I would like to describe it as real change. 
Okay, bearing fruit is real change, real change. The way you think, your attitude, your desires, your reactions, your MO, your decisions, your lifestyle, your character changes inside out. Jesus says, anyone who is his branch, you're connected to the vine, you're gonna change. Two things from this passage. The source of all life and change Second, what you must do with that source. Okay, two things. The source of all change, real change. Second, what you must do with that source. Okay, the source. Don't have to take a wild guess. This entire passage is built upon when Jesus said, I am the vine. His people, you, if you're his people, you are the branches. So a branch is joined to the vine if the life of the vine, the juices, the chemicals, the moisture, the life of the vine gets out of the ground and into the branch. If the branch is truly joined to that vine, then life comes into the branch and the branch grows and the branch bears fruit. Apostle Paul describes this as once again, you are united to Jesus Christ. It's just another way to describe John chapter 15. And this is what it means to be a Christian. A person who's connected to the source of all life and change, the vine, or in Romans chapter six, your old life has been crucified, it's dead, and by faith, by needing and asking to Jesus to come in, you are now united, one with him. And this image in John chapter 15 and the theological description of Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 is so profound. It is so permanent. It's so powerful. It's so life-giving and changing that it is closer than a teacher and a student. It's closer than your BFF. It's closer than a boss and employee. It's closer than a doctor and a patient. It's way closer than a pastor and someone who attends the church. It's even closer than husband and wife. The union or the live or die interconnection that Jesus the vine has with his branch is more intimate and more binding than any other relationship. Jesus came to do this. And here is the radical claim that Jesus makes in John chapter 15. If you pay attention to it enough, if you read it enough, if you think about it enough, or I always ask you to go home and pray over it because that's how God in his spirit activates it, makes it burn on fire and actually changes your life. But when you pray over this passage, here's something that should be outstanding. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and branches will bear fruit. Notice he does not say, Change is possible. Like, change is maybe gonna happen. You know, only certain super type of Christians are really gonna change. That is not what he says. He never says or hints at that change is possible. In this passage, it's guaranteed. Change is inevitable. I mean, please don't twist the scriptures to your own life experience. But Jesus is claiming if you are connected to him, you're truly united to him, you get life from him, you are united to him, you are a branch. Change is not just a theoretical goal. It's not sometimes it comes around. No, every branch of Christ bears fruit. Every branch changes.
to become like the vine, to become more like Christ. Now I've got something to confess to you. When you hit around 40, I'm still pretty young, but you hit around 40, part of the depressing thing that happens is your, your ambitions and wide-eyed optimism and desires to conquer the world kind of disappear. Because <laughs> you've kind of figured out you can't even conquer yourself. And the little older you get, I have found in my own heart and I found in other middle-aged folks, the more cynical you become. The older you get, the more unbelieving we become. The more lame we become. The more stubborn we become. The more, oh, I'm just set in my ways. I've lived 40 years this way and no one's going to change me. You know, that's what we do. And my friend, I want to ask of you, when Jesus makes this claim that he's the vine, we are the branches, he doesn't give like an age requirement. He doesn't say, oh, by the age of 40, it stops. Change is inevitable. And my friend, are you going to stack up no matter what kind of habit you've had, no matter what kind of trauma or abuse you're still reeling from, no matter what kind of stain sin left so deep that we just sang, no matter what kind of wound, no matter what kind of lack, no matter what kind of track record, no matter what kind of biography you bring into this place today, are you really going to tell me that Jesus does not have the power to cleanse that and change that? Do you really think that 40, 50 years of your life lived a certain way cannot be cleansed and changed by the vine if you're truly a branch? He's the source. He's the source of supernatural life and change. So here's what you and I got to do with it. Here's what we got to do with it. Ten times. Go ahead and count. In the English Standard Version, in 11 verses, ten times, the word is repeated. Abide. 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 Abide in me. Abide in my words. Abide in my love. I will abide in you. The Father will abide in you. Abide. Stick with. Stay true to. Do again, repeat, stay faithful, stay true to it, abide, abide. We are such a frenetic, impatient culture. If you try something for 15 minutes and it doesn't work, oh, what's the next thing? 15 minutes, Amazon, hey, you, you promised me same day prime. It was late, give me a maximum refund and then I want some more, we're so crazy. And then Christian and church, Christian people in churches run around and they try all kinds of new gimmicks or tactics or strategy. And it's nothing wrong, nothing wrong at all. No, Christian people should do new and current things to reach new and current people. But Christians and churches can never fail to abide in the most important things or else you cease to be a Christian. And here's the imagery in Isaiah chapter five of a vineyard. Vineyard with branches that's supposed to bear fruit like grapes and make good wine. The farmer has to go plow. The farmer has to go plant. The farmer has to go water. The farmer has to wait for the right seasons. He has to wait for the right weather. And do you know typically even in biblical culture in the Mediterranean, how long does it take for the vine to bear fruit through the branches? Two to four years. Two to four years. So let's not be all crazy and say, hey, you haven't changed in two weeks. You know, I saw you two months ago. 
Every vine that is connected to the branch, Jesus promises, promises. My life will rush into you and my life will change you inside out. Just abide, 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 abide. Three practical, specific ways we can abide in Jesus. Three ways. The first, notice how he mentions it. He says, and my words abide in you. Verse seven, my words abide in you. The way that you practically abide or cling to the source of all life and change is to have his words fill you. One of my favorite verses growing up, Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? Anybody struggle with purity here? Anybody struggle with lust? Anybody struggle with self-control? How can a young man keep his way pure? Here he says it. I have stored up your word in my heart. Now, a lot of you who may not yet be connected to Jesus, when you hear a verse like that, this is all you do. Oh, it just tells me what I should do, so I just got to go out and do it. Like, that's what you think God's word does. God's word just gives you a command. How can a young man keep his way pure? And that verse is like useless to you because all you hear is, oh, well, the way I keep it pure is obey what God told me to do. <laughs> You're totally missing the. Do you know what God's word actually does in branches? Do you know what God's word actually does in his people? It doesn't just give you a command. He gives you power to change. You know, the very word of God that's commanding you to do something has the power to enable you to do it. And when the young man says, I fill, I store, I treasure, I relish, I contemplate, I meditate, I memorize, I'm all about God's word, he gets filled up. And just like your physical appetite, if you get filled up with really, really good, nourishing, satisfying, the highest kind of food, your appetite for junk food just dissipates. And my friend this morning, it's been so maybe tired and true for some of you. You might be thinking, oh, another sermon on hearing. You got to know God's word. You got to know the Bible. Yeah. Because you cannot abide in the words of Jesus if you don't know the words of Jesus. But let me point out something else. If you don't know the words of Jesus, I will surely tell you, you are living out the words you do know. See, if you don't really care much for the words of Jesus, you don't really ever pay attention to it, you don't ever measure your life if you're living by it, well, what you're doing then is as an alternative, you're living out the words you do know. And one of the most popular dominating narratives are words that people just eat hook, line, and sinker is the American dream. It's the American dream. Work really hard, study really hard, get into that school, get that job, live there in that zip code, be in this tax bracket, hopefully marry someone really nice, have some kids, go to soccer games, get a retirement, live comfortable, contribute, do as much as you can. The American dream, the American dream. Make money, be comfortable, earn status. And a gal at our church this week, I thanked her so much, how sweet and honest it was of her. She blogged this week publicly. I think it was, I don't know if it was Instagram or Facebook. And she wrote, as a young adult who's still looking for a job, she said, I have been told that life only happens after, you see, I get that job. And as long as I'm waiting for life to happen only after I get a job, I'm filled with anxiety and dread. Because to her, she's been told, you see, life only really happens after this. And she called it, what is life like in between the stations? 
You see, monumental stations. And a lot of you have your, your, your life mapped out according to these stations. And you're just filled with panic and anxiety and dread because you think you have no life right now until you get there. And to make matters a little bit more sober, the scriptures announce to us, what if even after you get there? What if you made it? What if you make it? What if you do make it? Do all the right things. Get all that money. Get all that significance and stature. And you got a swag to you. What if you do make it? Do you know you don't have to guess what it's going to be like? There's a whole book in the scriptures that tells us even after you made it, you feel like you haven't made it. You still feel empty. You still have anxiety. You still have panic. You still aren't happy. You see, my friend, the words that you really do believe in show up in how you live. I mean, our good friend Peter Trotman, he came about a month ago, serving over 20 years at NYU as a college group discipler. And on Friday night, he gave a seminar on sex. By the way, this is available for free. All kinds of blessings and golden truths are going to ooze out of there. It's right there online. And here's what my friend confessed. There was a time in his life where for the life of him, he thought he would never, never overcome his addiction to porn. He never thought it was possible. You know, because porn addiction, as I understand, can just become like you're bored, porn, lustful, porn, sleepy, porn, stressed, porn, wake up porn, just porn. It's like eating, it's breathing, it's exercising. And for him, there was a season of time where even he as a Christian believer believed there was no way he was ever going to stop. But do you know what he shared with us? He's married now. 10 years free, 10 years free, stopped. Because he's so strong? No, because Jesus is a vine. And he also shared with us that he's been told lie after lie after lie that sex is just purely physical. It's just about selfish physical pleasure. No, it's not. Sex, according to the scriptures, is so relational. It's so personal. It's so emotional. It's spiritual. Do you live out the words of the American dream? Do you live out the words of utter addiction and defeat? There's some of us in this room, your parents were so busy, so busy, or they just left. You've been told and you believe you don't matter. You really just, deep down, you don't feel like you matter. So the rest of your life, what do you have to do? You have to prove that you do. If you have been told and you really believe deep down in your heart, you really don't matter that much, like stop bothering me, that's always what you've gotten from people, if you really believe you don't matter that much, the rest of your life, you're out there trying to prove you do. And so when there is some kind of challenge or opposition or, God forbid, criticism or failure or setback, it crushes you. It crushes you because you're on a quest to prove those words wrong. But what if, my friend, God, his word tells you, you matter so much 
In fact, you matter beyond all comparison that he would give up his own life for you. What if you actually believed the words of God that your value and worth is not gained, it's gotten? What if your worth is received, not achieved? What if you matter to God, not because you did something right, but because Jesus did everything right for you? My friend, when Jesus says, abide in the vine, abide in my words, this is how your whole life changes. Because whose words do you really remember most? Whose words really do you believe the most? Whose words do you rehearse the most? Whose words matter to you the most? Whose words can you not get out of your head? Whose words? Here's what Jesus says. If it's not his words, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. That is truth, truth. If the words of Jesus do not give you life, you won't be able to change. You know that little saying when we were young, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Another lie. That's another lie, isn't it? Sticks and stones is actually mild treatment compared to the words you started to believe. My friend, if you don't know or abide by the words of Jesus, you're going to live out the words you do know. And I'll tell you, every other word, here it is, here it is. This is a crazy statement. I'm going to make crazy statements because God makes them. Every other word out there, every other word out there is never pure truth. It's like half fake or 10% fake or 5% fake. Or you know what? Low fat. Let's just stick in 2%, 1% fake. Doing pretty good. 99% of what I believe is true, 99%, but 1% is flawed and false and fake. Can I tell you, my friend, you know in the spiritual arena, when it comes to eternity, do you know that that 1% that's false could be fatal? That 1%, just that 1% could be fatal, because here's how it goes. If the 1% keeps you from ever needing or coming to Jesus, if that 1% never gets you connected to Jesus, it's fatal. Abide in the vine, abide in his life. How do I change my friend? Whose words fill you, dominate you, drive you? Do you rehearse them? Do you preach them to yourself? Do you meditate on them? Do you detox? I don't know how you get through life without detoxing the words of this world versus God's words. This is how you abide in the vine. Here's second. Here's second. Jesus not only said, let my words, as my words abide in you in verse 7, what did he say in verse 9? Abide in my love. Abide in my love. I really love my girls. I like to think that, think that of myself. I really, really love my girls, St. Elizabeth. And I love them so much that as they grow... Because I love them so much, I want to change them so much. Even when they're little babies, I want to change them. 
Stop crying. Change your own diaper. I want to change. I didn't even do it. Just change. I love them so much, I want them to change. My girls never have to change in order to be loved. No, no, no. Please don't confuse that. My girls never had to change to be loved, but because I love them so much, I want them to change. It's a little different story with my wife, but the sermon about marriage that's going to come some other day. But at least with my kids, I love them so much, I want them to change. So here's the infamous story, right? Infamous, infamous. Ordination worship service, that's when a, a person becomes like an official clergy or pastor, and I was at that worship service. And right as the worship service ended in San Diego, my youngest daughter's over toward the exit door. This is still within the sanctuary, and she just breaks out in a song that she had just learned. She started singing, I like big butts and I cannot lie. She started shaking her butt and dancing. She was singing that song with just so much freedom and glee. I shot her look. She could see me from over there. We made eye contact. And she knows that look. She knows that look. I threw her the look, you might die right now. <laughs> if you don't stop, you, you might die. I love Elizabeth so much. I need to teach her new songs, please. <laughs> At least pretend and sing other songs when we're in a church. Go ahead and sing it in the car because I do like that song. It's really catchy. You do it really well. But don't do it at church at least. You love someone so much, you want them to change. There is no love relationship on the planet. I'm not gonna, I know someone else is falling in love right now. They're changing like exponentially right now. All of a sudden, they like this book. They like this movie. They like eating here. I'm like, wow, love. And here is a false and powerless gospel at work today. And my friend, you really need to be careful. Is this what's at work in your heart? The false powerless gospel goes like this. Oh, because God loves me so much, I know Jesus died for me, I could do whatever I want. You see, that is a false gospel that says, God, love me, but don't change me. The powerless gospel is always, love me as I am, but just leave me as I am, don't change me. Do you know what the true, powerful, life-giving gospel from the vine really sounds like? Because God loved me so much that he would die for me, give his life for me in Jesus Christ, I want to listen and obey everything he tells me to do. Love me, love me, because I am so loved. I want to do anything he wants me to do. I am loved to change. Loved to change. Jesus says, let my words, words, new words, totally otherworldly words, has got to cleanse and replace lies. The lies of your whole life. And then you also have to abide in his love. Because here's how the love of God works. And in fact, here's how all love works. Real love, God's love, is never going to leave you alone. It'll come to seek to change you for good. Jesus says that any branch that never changes, any branch that never bears fruit, any branch that never starts to look or resemble or act like Jesus Christ will be cut off. That's a dire word. 
This means that many people can look like you're connected to Christ. Many people can look like you're united to Christ. Many people, again, can do church things, but organically, in reality, you've never become a branch of Jesus Christ. This does not mean that changing makes me into a branch of Jesus. This does not mean, on the virtue of my character change, I become a branch connected to Jesus Christ. But it does show that I am. And sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it might be unnoticeable. There might be seasons of regression. Oh, yes. Oh, but give it time. You know, the long pattern, like the graph over 10 years? Look at that. Where is there? It's going to be. Two steps backward, three steps forward. Two steps backward, three steps forward. And after 10 years, you're going to see fruit. You're going to see change. This is what I get to see all the time. I do. Those of you who have attended Christ Central beyond four or five years, faithfully, humbly, do you not know how encouraged I am when I see how you have borne fruit, how you have changed and grown? Our staff, our elders, our ordained deacons, people I work with the closest. Over a span of time, it's not possible. It's inevitable. I see people get sweeter. I see people get stronger. I see people become less selfish. I see people become more responsible. I see people become more humble. I see people become more forgiving, more patient, more gracious, more effective, more loving, more taking ownership. How do you think, how do you think these things happen? Because they're connected to the vine and Jesus is pouring out his life. And I hope they get to see it in me. That Jesus changes lives. How? Abide in him. Abide in him. Abide by his words. Abide in his love. Have you ever noticed that wherever you go, There you are. Write that one down. Wasn't that so profound? (laughs) Have you ever noticed that wherever you go, there you are? Why did I bring up that funny saying? Because there are a lot of people who always just want to change, change the circumstance, change the people around you, change your spouse, change the church, change your job, change your neighborhood, change your resources, change everything around you, but maybe Jesus Christ loves to change you in your current circumstance. Maybe Jesus is in the business of changing you in your current condition. My friend, is there Christ-likeness that he is producing? Don't confuse this with natural personality. I'm not gonna pick on, I'm I'm not trying to pick on this, but some of you are just very nice. Period. You're just naturally nice. Seem like you couldn't harm a fly. Always nice. That is not Christ-likeness. That's your natural personality. Do you know how we could see if a naturally personality type who is very nice is actually becoming more like Jesus? Watch when that supposedly really nice person rubs up against somebody else who is really not nice to them. And there you will begin to see whether a natural personality has changed and start to bear fruit to become like Christ. Here's the third and we close. 
Abide by his words. Abide in his love. Last one. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the, you are the what? Branches. Thank you. Does any translation say you are the branch? No. Always plural. Always together. Always corporate. Do you know how we abide in Jesus? We do it together. The image of a vineyard back again in Isaiah is a vineyard. It's the people of God together, hanging and clinging and depending together in the source of all life and change. We must do it together. We need to abide with one another. Scott Sauls blogged this week. Scott Sauls, pretty well-known blogger and Christian author. He blogged this week that in the past two years, five of his most accomplished pastor friends fell. That's in two years. And the five accomplished pastors are like the guys who publish books, the guys whose churches are growing, the guys who from the outside look like they've always got it together. Five pastors fell in two years. And he wrote a little blog that struck me because he said, you know, the moral failure is just the symptom. I said, that's all right. The moral fall, the scandal is just a symptom. Do you know what is the underlying disease? Isolation. Loneliness is the underlying disease. Can I ask you, dear friends here at Christ Central? Our goal here is not that you just attend a Sunday worship service. We're so glad and happy you're here. But do you, do you think you're, you're stronger than pastors? Do you think you know more about the Bible than a lot of pastors? Do you think you're more self-aware and humble and reflective and conscientious than a lot of these godly pastors? Do, do you think you're just that much better than them? I ask of you, I beg of you, who knows you? Who dares ask you any question they want? Who really knows if you are connected to, clinging to the vine? I have no idea where I'd be without that. I have my own group, it's full of pastors. And it's safe for pastors to be with other pastors because we complain about the people at our church, so that's why I can't do it with you, but that's why the pastors get together with the pastors. But Jesus said, abide by his words, abide in his love, and abide with one another. One pastor who did step down from moral failure said in his final sermon, do you know when you are ready to repent? It's when you want so desperately to change, but you know perhaps for the first time in your life that you are powerless to change your own life. And into that vacuum rushes the powerful grace of God. Do you know when you're really ready to change? Do you know when you're really ready to repent? It's when you go to any Christian-based recovery group and they begin with the admission, I cannot change. So help me God. And group, 
please help me, the group that I'm admitting this to. No one says help me God at home beyond an internet by themselves in their office. Christian-based recovery groups come together where we say help me God and please help me group. Do you really want to change? Do you really want to change? Abide in Jesus, by his words, in his love, and with one another. We're going to do that as we come to the table. Let's pray.